Welcome to Disruption Land. Welcome to Disruption Land. Welcome to Disruption Land. The unconventional take on all things innovation, tech, and transformation. Join us as we explore the ideas and impact that might just change, change the, the world. world. Welcome to a new episode of Disruption Land. I'm your host, Hannes Sapiens Sjöblad. Disruption Land is brought to you by Epicenter, a community of digital scale-ups, corporates and entrepreneurs. At Epicenter, we help business builders supercharge innovation and growth and keep abreast of how the world is evolving. This we do in many ways, including events, trainings and, not least, this podcast that you just tuned into, Disruption Land. With Disruption Land, we work to get a better understanding of the technologies that are transforming the world and how they can be applied to address big problems. Today, we are going deep tech and we are going to talk about biology being in the process of transforming yet another industry, that of how we store information. In short, the DNA molecule is the most information-dense matter that we know of. In terms of bytes, we can store the equivalent data amount of the entire Library of Congress or all the data that's ever been published on Facebook in a single test tube with you know, less than a cubic centimeter of data of DNA. Additionally, DNA is an extraordinary robust molecule, whereas the digital data storage media we use today, such as hard drives, have useful lifetimes measured in a few decades before they begin to deteriorate. DNA, especially when cold, can last for hundreds of thousands of years. Something well demonstrated in, for example, the frozen animals that we find in the Siberian permafrost and where we can read the genomics of these uh, ancient uh, animals. In order to help us get a better understanding of the opportunities here, I have with me a guest with spectacular qualifications, a real scientist. Cynthia Perez Estrada is a leading researcher in genomics with a PhD from the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm and later postdoc work at Harvard and Rice in the United States. Cynthia, it's great to have you here. Well, thank you so much for the invitation, Hannes. I'm really excited to be here with you. It's a pleasure. Cynthia, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and your professional journey and what has taken to where you are today? Yeah, of course. Um, I'm from Mexico originally, and I've always been really curious about animals and biodiversity and Specifically, I've been very passionate about um, protecting the Amazonia rainforest. That was one of my my quests when I was very young. And uh, eventually discovering how salamanders, for example, can regenerate their tails and other body parts was basically uh, the enigma that led me to become a scientist and to pursue a PhD at Karolinska Institute. 
wow this is this i mean this is a topic in itself and uh, i'd love to explore this further uh but okay so but specifically you have been investigating and researching into uh, what dimensions of, of uh, genomics so yeah after uh, my phd at ki i basically uh, discovered that in order to be able to regenerate um, or to have access to important cells for the brain uh, you need to have a coordination with the dna in your cells and so this discovery made me really curious to continue learning on uh, how those processes work inside our cells. Uh, so when I went to Harvard University in the US, I was in contact with various scientists that are leading uh, the field of genomics. And one of them uh, has a laboratory uh, working in imaging um, at the nanoscale, how the genome inside of our cells, the DNA, how that DNA is organized. And so we can take uh, really cool snapshots into how, uh, how the cells are basically organizing their DNA. Uh, the name of this fantastic scientist is uh, Ting Wu. And in her laboratory, I learned uh, all of these different technologies that can uh, teach us a lot on, on, on the organization of our genomes. Uh, moving forward, I started to work uh, with Eris Liverman Aiden at Rice University, who invented this really cool technology that basically enables you to um, create genome-wide, that is all of your DNA, maps in 3D, to tell you exactly how each of your uh, pieces of DNA are folded in 3D. And that is very important because we're discovering that the DNA is not a linear molecule, that it's actually folded in 3D, and, and those folds enable the transfer of communication between very distant regions of our genomes into others. So, they're like we we're basically disentangling many levels of of how the DNA is communicating information to our cells. This is super interesting in itself. So I mean, I think the image that a lot of us have is that the genome is indeed like a long text row, but uh, and sort of that that is the main information that is in there. It's it's in the base pairs. But what you're saying is that there is like a completely different level to how the DNA molecule is folded, where it touches itself in different positions, kind of like different chapters in a book, and then it can open and close these in different ways. Do I understand this correctly? That's a brilliant way of, of visualizing this. I think this is exactly what it is. We have the code of our genomes, of our DNA, which are the letters, the four letters. And those letters then, like you mentioned, they will be uh, one after another. And, and visually, you can think about it as two meters long, right? But in our cells, our cells are rounded. And so these two meters need to be folded in tiny, tiny, tiny spaces of six micrometers. You have to think of it as the tip of your hair. Like it, it's super, super tiny space. And so it's so efficiently folded that, like you say, at a specific time in, in your life, some chapter of the DNA will have to be open. And the way to do that is to just fold it in a specific way to access that specific information with various other molecules that, that play a role in the information transfer 
uh, from DNA to uh, function in our cells. Wow, this is this is super interesting. But uh, Cynthia, let's let's keep this on a you know for our general audience who may not all be uh, scientists. Let's let's keep it on a on a broad level. Let's. Um, I want to ask you. We speak from time to time about the digitalization of biology. Uh, what what is it in your in your interpretation? This broad term. Yes, this is a really broad term, but it's a very interesting question, and I think. The dig digitalization of biology, it's something that basically comes together with the dig digitalization of everything. And um, the first time that uh, we find life in a digital form was actually already back in, in 1995 by Craig Venter in, in California in the U.S. They basically um, read um, the genome of a bacteria that causes meningitis, and they were able to transform uh, the DNA code into one, ones and zeros. And those ones and zeros then were able to be stored in a computer. But the concept really of, of storing biology in a digital form is much, much older, and we have um, uh, demonstrations of what you know DNA can actually do already from from the 80s, from uh, actually artists that have been experimenting with the medium of DNA and, and how can we actually use DNA for other purposes because we know that DNA contains the information of who we are, of other organisms, plants, um, uh, pigs, horses. It basically is instructing every organism into what they have to do as, as their own, right? So... Um, with this knowledge, then we can basically uh, understand the DNA is some sort of data storage uh, medium. And so Joe Davies in the U.S., who has been a bioartist, uh, managed to store a picture in 1988 in which uh, he utilizes only 18 base pairs of the 18 letters of DNA to store a picture already in the 80s. So this is something that that humans have been thinking about for a long time and that recently is starting to take off and many more demonstrations of, of, of the digitalization of information uh, in DNA and I'm jumping to yet another concept. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's taking place. And, and, and what is driving this development in my understanding is that this technology is getting a lot cheaper. I mean, that's, that's what allows the... Uh, innovation to happen and the, the speeding up of, of new solutions and ideas is that the, the cost to, to read genes has fallen dramatically. Yes, yes, you're totally right there. And currently we can basically read our DNA for about probably $3,000, $1,000. I don't know, that's probably about 30,000 kroner. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's falling uh, yearly. And it will continue mm. to fall. That's right. I mean, we are having uh, advances in technology to read our DNA that eventually we hope that will enable the democratization of reading DNA. I, I, I envision everyone being able to, you know, have a reader of DNA at home that you can basically, you know, but but that's jumping too much into the future. But I, no, but I frankly, these uh, devices already that. exist, right? I mean, yes. we have seen this, the Snickers sized uh, 
um, uh, from Oxford Nanopore. Uh, yes. You know, you can carry a gene sequencing device in your back pocket. And just like people had smartphones or let's say mobile phones in the 1980s, it was only for, you know, a few wealthy uh, persons who, who needed this in their professional endeavors. And today, I mean, 10-year-old kids have smartphones, right? And I'm sure we'll see DNA sequencers go the same way ultimately. It's, it's simply being a consumer tool. That's that's right. I mean, Oxford Nanopore are, are really pushing, you know, the boundaries of what what you could imagine with reading the DNA because the machines traditionally are really, really chunky and, you know, they occupy a big space in your laboratory. Whereas Oxford, Oxford Nanopore, and I'm not sure everyone is familiar on how it looks like, it's just a USB mm. that you can load and you can connect to your computer and read DNA live on your computer, seeing the advances and how long it's taking, you know. You can prepare your DNA next to it, <laughs> probably in your kitchen, and mm -hmm. start, you know, reading genomes. And I think it's, this enables and it's going to enable as soon as the costs uh, be, begin to... to, to to decrease, uh, to read other organisms that do not have an initial uh, economical uh, interest, but that we still haven't discovered their potential. And we have a lot of that in nature, I think. And so I, I hope that in the future, you know, utilizing this type of devices um, with citizen scientists, we will be able to uh, decode more and more genomes that would lead to learn more about nature and how we can optimize our own DNA <laughs> for <laughs> for uh, other types of adaptations. But that again, it's a it's 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 a it's a visionary. Amen. Let's let's make that happen. The first step, as as you say, being simply educating people about the technology and putting it in the hands of students and scientists and entrepreneurs and why not hackers as well, the biohackers out there. Uh, yes. I, my vision is that I want people to be able to sequence their lunch before they eat it, <laughs> right? So how do you know what's in there? And oh yeah, is this really a tuna in my uh, sushi or, or whatever, right? Right. And just like people are snapping Instagram pictures of their lunches these days, uh, why don't you sequence it in a similar way? So I, I, my my vision is, that is kind of that's where I want to go with this. Um, now, but Cynthia, we're here to speak about one specific application of the uh, digitalization of biology. And because there are so many different ones, and you already touched upon uh, several of them, but here we're going to look at one which is a particular challenge for mankind. We are producing increasing amounts of data. We're, we're in the setabyte era where... Every day are billions of connected devices are producing enormous amounts of data. And this is becoming kind of a burden for, for the global system that all these data has to be stored somewhere. That is becoming a significant cost, taking you know uh, up to 1% of global energy consumption is going towards data storage. And as data production is exploding, we need novel ways to address this problem. And what I know is that you have been working and exploring this idea of using DNA for data storage. Can you tell us a little bit about how that would work? Yeah, this is a really exciting time, I think, too. As I mentioned earlier, this is not a new concept. It's been around since the 80s, and a lot of different people have demonstrated the possibility that DNA brings us a de data storage device because, as you will very well said at the beginning, uh, it 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 enables us to store 
massive amounts of data in very, very small spaces. And I think one of the, one of the main problems that we currently have with data storage is that um, to store all of the data that we're generating every day by taking so many different pictures, by uploading them uh, to the cloud and publishing them in TikTok, in Instagram. We need to have special facilities that are taking care of that data, that are protecting our data. And those facilities are not, um, are not cheap to start with. They are very, very expensive to maintain because you need to keep to keep them really dry, to keep certain temperatures uh, inside so that all of the computers that are working there are safe uh, and working properly. So you can basically dedicate millions and millions and also a lot of space and energy, which currently we cannot really afford because of the generation of carbon dioxide uh, that leads to, to global warming. So it, it is really not the way that we must continue. We have to change these practices. So this is actually an urgent, <laughs> an urgent change that we need to do in our society to, to find new ways to store the massive amounts of data that we're generating and that are also contributing to warming our planet. So DNA, for that matter, it's an amazing medium because, as you already mentioned too, uh, it can store data for very, very long amount, long periods of time, as is already demonstrated by uh, organisms that we've found in Siberia and that contain uh, well-preserved uh, information from that specific organism. In this case, if you just Google mammoths and, and, and DNA, you will find uh, recent articles from great scientists here in Sweden, like Luve Dalien, who uh, have found uh, great preservation of mammoth DNA for thousands of years. And so that is preserved in the permafrost. That's a very, very cold environment, right? But we also know that if we keep DNA in very, very dry conditions, uh, just in a test tube in a, in a room that is dry, even at room temperature, you can keep DNA for, for a very long period of time. Um, now, if you, if you are to, you know, cool down the environment, and uh, you, you can increase the time that you may store that data. And in general, that will become uh, really, really cheap for you to do that because also the space that you will be utilizing will be probably a fraction of all of the different uh, facilities that are right now dedicated to, to, to store our current data. So, I mean, this is, this is really the future. We need to move towards something that is more um, environmentally friendly for all of the life in the planet, but also that is going to enable a very efficient way of storing the data because the DNA has been the medium uh, in which <laughs> all of the life, uh, most most of the life in our planet, because we obviously have a lot of viruses that are made of RNA, but that's a different story. Still related, yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah. So, but so all these uh, businesses now setting up big data centers, they're doing this in the north of Sweden because it's cold climate and you know plenty of hydro energy up there and they say yeah this is the future we just created 14 jobs in our city you know these guys are going to get blown out of the market by a you know a, a, a tiny refrigerator <laughs> is that is that what's going to happen i think we 
we may not even need a refrigerator. Uh, may, a hole in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we will. I mean, when you already have an environment that is cold, um, I guess this is why they're moving there because of the temperatures that will enable preservation of data or, or the functionality of, of their devices. Um, um, I think we can definitely optimize that with mm. DNA. We can we can reduce the space. We can reduce the energy usage um, that 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 leads to 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 you know preserving all of this important data that we're all generating. Interesting. Hi. So this is a shout out for you know decision makers in uh, Lulio and Hannesand and you guys out there. You know, check this out and <laughs> don't uh, bet too much on the uh, latest Facebook data center. Anyway, but, but with that yeah. said, you know, I think that there is a still uh, there is a still time for us to be able to optimize all of this, to be able to connect, uh, uh, because you're mentioning a really important part of it, which is reading the DNA, right? But we also need to optimize our writing the DNA. Yeah. So we're coming to the challenges here, obviously. So it's not all easy breezy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, storing the information in DNA seems kind of simple, right? And even copying them is just about warming them up a little bit and cooling them down, and then they copy themselves. Now, the hard part, you the challenges here are uh, uh, writing and reading it, of course. So why don't you take us through that, please, a little bit, Cynthia? Yeah, so as you mentioned, um, you, can, you can definitely uh, replicate the DNA by utilizing uh, different enzymes that the the scientific community has been using for for many many years um, but one of the challenges uh, that we currently face is how to write the DNA uh, in a very cost-effective manner and there are currently uh, various companies that are doing this uh, it's however still quite expensive and and the generation of of, of DNA fragments that are long is still a challenge so um i think the moment that and, and, and i'm very hopeful uh, i know that we're going to get to a point in which we're going to be able to write dna in a very efficient way um mostly i believe learning by uh, more basic organisms and 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 what tools they use to do that uh, but there's going to be certainly within the next um years um a new way of how we're going to be writing DNA that it's not going to be related to uh, industrial processes as we see them right now. Oh, that's very promising because if I understand correctly, right now we're kind of in like this old printing way of like Gutenberg where you have to, someone has to put each letter down <laughs> and it's, it still costs like several cents per letter. And ultimately, if you're doing a long text, that's going to make it a lot more expensive than, you know, a standard data file. Is that correct? That's that's right, and so um, there are. Uh, I mean, these are man-made um, protocols that that we're currently using. But truly, nature has been uh, for millions of years uh, perfectioning many many different molecular machines that now people are turning to and looking at them in order to be able to more efficiently uh, generate uh, writing of DNA text. Uh, so we're moving towards there, and I think this is a really, really exciting time because discoveries are, as you know, uh, being generated every day. And with that said, I, 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 I can't wait to see, you know, how this is going to be solved. Exciting. That's very nice. But okay, so looking at sort of as a 
as a business uh, solution, Cynthia, what what would it be like? What how, what would such a service be like? So I'm sitting here with my data center or my sort of all all my bookkeeping for the last ten years. I need to store it somewhere. What what, what would what would the user experience, the interface? How how what does it look like? I believe we still don't know how it will look like, how it would look like. It's, um, it's you know, I leave it to everyone's imagination and how we can expect that. What I, what I envision is that it will work similarly as it works right now with the cloud. Um, uh, we will definitely have a miniature, <laughs> we will have to make our devices a lot smaller uh, than what it what than what they are right now. Um, once we know how our writing DNA uh, will look like, because it will have to be personalized, presumably, um, then I think we will be able to imagine a better platform that will be personal, uh, like it is the laptop or it is you know other personal devices that that we use right now and that we're not you know. No one really saw that coming, um, and all of a sudden, all of us have a laptop, and all of us have a phone. Uh, so I think it, it it'll happen similarly, and um, with with DNA. Interesting. It's still to be defined. I I saw somewhere there's uh, someone has created a file format for uh, DNA, right? DNA dot DNA C, kind of like just like the dot doc or whatever that people have. So it's interesting. That's I think really that gives a, a a clear image of. Okay, here's my information, and now I copy this into DNA, or it's like a conversion from .pdf to .dnac, something like this. Yeah, no, that's that's a really fun fun thing to do. I think I think this is you know this is one of the things that are going to be really interesting, like to create like a lot of the formats, like you're saying, like .dna uh, something, and it's still moving, right? It's still undefined. So entrepreneurs out there, take note. It's uh, still undefined, but I think it will take. I mean, it won't be any problem to, um, or it 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 will be following more or less the line of of the soft. I mean, of of the programs that we already have, uh, translating them into I or storing them into the DNA code um, should be uh, something that you know should not be a, a huge um, stop problem. Good. That makes me comfortable as a user. So, but Cynthia, if if one wants to understand a little bit better how this uh, industry is evolving, what what are the players out there that one should check out or, or follow to to get uh, to get an understanding? Yeah. So basically, there are a lot of people working on this problem, um, and 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 that's really exciting because that means that you know there is interest and 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 we will see many solutions coming out that that will benefit the field. Uh, interestingly, Microsoft is investing a lot of money into this and they are collaborating with the University of Washington. And recently there has been a, um, a DNA Data Storage Alliance forum in which many strong companies are part of, uh, including Illumina, which is uh, one of the, uh, it, it's a leading company in reading the DNA. Um, this company is based in the U.S. Um, then you also have Twist Biosciences, also an American company that it's uh, it's been uh, traditionally writing DNA with different chemical processes. 
Um, and then you have a data storage uh, company that traditionally it's optimizing methods to, to keep data safe. Uh, this company is called Western Digital. And so all of these companies uh, are working together towards uh, making uh, DNA data storage possible. Interesting. I mean, you can imagine that this is of great use for the big data companies. I mean, like uh, AWS and Google and IBM, all of these big cloud businesses, of yeah. course. I mean, if they could just put a, a small percentage of the data they store in a different form that doesn't require any maintenance, I mean, that would have great implications for them. So that's very interesting. Yeah, that's super interesting. And it's I, I, I want to point out that, you know, I mean, it does, it will require a certain level of maintenance, but not not at all close to, to what we have right now. And there are also other players that, that are small companies that are funded from other sources that are also working towards uh, storing data in DNA and also universities that, I mean, everywhere in the world. True. Academically, this is happening in a lot of places. Yes. I'm, I'm interested in how this is now being commercialized okay, because okay. I just see how this is uh, just about to happen. So, but Cynthia, which industries do you think are going to be transformed by, by this tech? Is it... Is it is it just these big tech data giants, the cloud companies that are going to to get into this, or is there someone else who will be uh, impacted as well? So um, I I believe all of the industries that are currently depending on cloud data storage and everybody basically every industry that utilizes data storage is going to have an impact on on how they perform their businesses how they, I mean, prices may decrease, there will be more competition, I, 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 I foresee, of companies offering data storage in different DNA uh, manners and with different accessibility. But also, um, I mean, you can, you can see that coming, for example, in, in, in education, where you see big data playing a, sto a, a very big role, because big data needs to be stored. <laughs> Uh, somewhere and so um, they are utilizing uh, big data in in virtual classrooms right so so you have for example in one side you have education you have also healthcare that is becoming increasingly digital everything that we know about healthcare it's just going to be a, a huge jump into the digi digital uh, world if, if part of it it already is but there are certain sectors within the healthcare that are still in the process of, of becoming digital. Then we have also, also of course, uh, universities that are also entering a new era in which everything is also becoming digital. Lab nodes, um, they are starting to be concentrated in just one space. So, I, I, I mean, I think every industry is going to be touch up on on you know everything DNA that requires data storage in exactly. one dimension or another. I mean. Uh, and, and an exciting case is, of course, also we see an emerging space race, new space race happening, right? Yes. So in uh, the Cold War, it was the Soviets versus the Americans. Now we have a commercial space race, which is very interesting on these Mars projects and whatnot. Again, here, when you're going into space, we know weight is, is very much an, in a limiting factor. So taking uh, you know data in the form of dna with you may be a much more efficient way if we're you know going to transfer things to mars what do you say yeah that's that's a very interesting thought i think that um it, it could make it more efficient for sure uh in decreasing weight and and, and all of that and especially for long space trips 
Um, yeah, not Mars. <laughs> I mean, where, where you may not have the opportunity to, you know, um, uh, stream data from Earth to the planet that you're going to, you will just simply carry it in your DNA box and, you know. Um, it's good to have a backup if the link goes down right. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> to so Mother Earth. Exactly. So basically Mars might also, you know, uh, make a use out of it. Um, so, so no, that's that's a really good point that you know you you may be able to bring tons and tons instead of um, instead of depending on on transferring data uh, uh, to Earth uh, to, to to deploy whatever you need. You may just bring your tubes of DNA. Right. At least we should have a proper backup because that's that's for me is something that stresses me a little bit. What if we mess this planet up now in the short term? It would be neat to have a backup, you know, dig down in a hole in, in Mars somewhere. No, no, <laughs> so it's safe. Yeah. If someone comes around a million years from now, <laughs> wondering what happened in the 2020s when these guys screwed up <laughs> <laughs> the lovely planet they had. Anyway, Cynthia, there, there are, of course, when we explore new technologies, we're all enthusiastic and starry-eyed. And yeah, it's going to solve so many problems and it's going to be cheaper and uh, more democratic. But... Are there some sort of ethical considerations to applying this technology? What, do you see some something we should be concerned about or thinking about when we launch DNA for data storage all around? Well, it will certainly have uh, the same um, ethical concerns that we're currently facing with our <laughs> current system. Uh, and I think it'll be an opportunity for us to, to rethink, you know, how do we want this to be uh, uh, deployed? What, what are the things that we envision to protect our data, to protect ourselves? Because really, a lot, of, a lot of the things that are being protected is a lot of who we are. Uh, all of my pictures from every day, from every other 15 minutes, you know, of my day, uh, our own genomes uh, that are already, you know, digital, um, that's uh, that's who we are. There is no other genome like your genome or my genome, and 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 I think that might be a different question. But but it does bring us the opportunity to to you know start thinking about how do we envision our data protection and and how how do we want it for ourselves? How how do we see you know um, the influence of other companies that will want to access different parts of our data? I, I think it'll bring a new opportunity for us to to reform and to reshape um, those uh, aspects that we're currently discussing in some countries. Not everywhere, but in, I think in Europe, you guys are doing a really good job on, you know, protecting your data and your personal integrity, uh, in your personal digital integrity. And I hope that you know, with with reforming the system with data stored in DNA, we will have again that opportunity to discuss this and to, to reshape that so that everybody can protect as much as they want of their personal digital information. So uh, by all means, privacy and data protection is going to be different, but the principles of us wanting to protect and preserve data will will not change. So, so we need to stick to our values. I, I have another dimension to this question though, and this is Okay, so now we're going to manipulate uh, organisms at, at industrial scale because we want to store all these amounts of data. What happens if that data sort of leaks out into the environment? What if suddenly there are, you know, bacteria in 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 the soil that uh, have the you know accounting of uh, of, of of companies in, in coded in their genome? Is that is that even something that might happen? 
I think this is a really interesting question. It's also a really fun question mm -hmm. because um, the way that we will store data, it will not involve any living form. Uh -huh. It will not be alive. It will be just DNA in a little bit of water when we want to replicate it. Or so it can't ex escape the lab. I mean, we should be worried about stuff escaping labs, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, it will not be able to escape, and you don't have a living organism there. It's just, mm. it's just, it's just chemicals. You just should mm. see it as a chemical stored in a tube. Um, but, but I understand that you know this is a question that can come in into into people because yes, DNA it's 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 being called the building blocks of life. Right. So if you have data stored in DNA, do you have a living form? Mm. And I guess uh, it's but someone may want to spread a message in the form of a virus. Right. You, you code a certain virus and you can spread it. You know, it's totally feasible if, when this technology gets widespread. Right. It is very feasible already, mm. yes. Mm. Um, and, 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 and the artist that I was mentioning earlier uh, in, in 1988, uh, Joe Davies, he, this is basically what he did. He encoded the picture of, um, of microvenus, he called it, and uh, in 18 base pairs and store it in a bacteria and then replicate the bacteria. So then you have a living artwork that it's, you know, replicating uh, this uh, picture. And we have no idea where this <laughs> is spread by now. So. This is, this oh. is, in, this is in, a, in a museum, but, but you know, it's, it's definitely possible and, and the demonstrations of the technology are already out there. And uh, yes, and this is again, part of the ethic uh, problem, but of digitalizing life, I believe. Hmm. Um, not of DNA as a storage medium, but more of, of the digitalization of, of everything, of, in this case, you know, our own selves in the form of one and zeros when we have our DNA sequence out there, the DNA, the DNA sequences of other organisms that are like viruses or uh, other pathogens that can cause disease. Right, so kind of like when we open up the source code to all these living beings and we give people access in a way, right? Oh yeah, here's how to hack things how here's how to hack yourself there will be consequences uh, so kids out there think of uh, unwanted side effects uh, when you get going with this exactly and this has to be part of the conversation once we have because right now there's there are uh, e international efforts that are uh, collecting genomes of organisms and so um as you say, this this definitely brings uh, you know the opportunity to to do different types of, of experiments, if you have a lab uh, and etc. So so I believe that we need to have ethical regulations to protect um, uh, wrong uses of this type of data. But that but that comes to basically all sorts of data that need to be you know regulated in a certain way uh, to not stop innovation but to protect. Um, Right, and to when we make these decisions, at least to understand the consequences. Yes, exactly. So, so it's important to 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 inform uh, curious minds on you know the consequences, as you mentioned, and 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 what are the possibilities, uh, but the risks too of of working with these uh, materials. As always, Cynthia, it's been a pleasure to have you here in Disruption Land. Thank you very much for coming and sharing these brilliant insights that you have as a scientist. Thank you so much. It's just been really, really exciting to, to talk to you today, Hannes. Thank you. Good. 
And thank you everyone who has tuned in. Feel free to uh, hit the like button. And uh, if you enjoy this episode, share it with friends or colleagues out there whom you think may find it interesting to understand how the digitalization of biology and storing all our information now in a novel medium, which is the DNA, how that may transform businesses, industries, and how society operates out there. Thank you for tuning in today. I'll catch you next time. Have a good day. Thanks for joining us here in Disruption Land. To visit again, just subscribe to Disruption Land Podcast. This podcast is produced by Epicenter, the house of digital innovation. Discover all about our vibrant tech and business community and inspiring workspaces at weareepicenter.com. <laughs>